This is part two of a three-part podcast. Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. All right. So you're saying I'm saying advertising like a dirty word. And it's like, I'm sorry. I think that 99% of the population is um, um, they feel subjected to advertising. Uh, they don't they don't want it. And then if they come up with a product, then they want people to naturally find out about it without any advertising. That's yeah. the only that's the pure mm-hmm. way to go. They don't even want their mom to find out about it unless you heard about it from somebody else. Right, right. You know? yeah. So it's my stuff so good. And 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 that's gonna be in their part of the book about is about how like it's frustrating when you come up with a great solution, how people won't buy into it because they didn't get it spoon-fed to them through uh, uh, an advertising campaign or a massive PR program. Without the PR and the advertising, it doesn't exist. Um, and I think rocket mass heaters are like one of the best examples of that. Why is it that the world is not currently absolutely bonkers about rocket mass heaters? I mean, they rocket mass heaters can possibly single-handedly solve our carbon footprint problem as well as uh, cut your expenses for heat from perhaps thousands of dollars a month down to like $20 a month, and that's if you buy the wood. Okay, so moving right along. Maybe Gert should go onto the Internet and tell the world about her lifestyle. She tried that a couple of times and was told by a few dozen people that she's a lying monster and a shill. So she decided to not bring this stuff up on the internet anymore. Well, so I had to stop blogging. Yeah! <laughs> Your stuff is brilliant. It's magnificent. And yet, I cannot help but think that, that it's, it comes back to the Wheaton Eco Scale. If you, uh, I'm going to say you're a level nine person in your field you're level nine in the world of fire and so but if you go out and talk about it somebody at level one or level two is going to say everything you're saying is a fucking lie and you're a shill for your book and so stop fucking talking we don't want to hear from you and of course it's always somebody who's anonymous and has contributed (laughs) nothing to the field but after a while it's kind of like why should I bother helping people? I'm just sick of the hate. The people that I help don't even, they, they don't even fucking stand up for me. Maybe like one out of 10,000 people will stand up for me. But I'm just sick of the hate. Now, okay, that said, I am just wired in such a twisted, fucked up way, I can't seem to stop. And and I think everybody who's in the chat thing, everybody who's hearing this podcast, everybody who's watching this thing, you know what I've been through. <laughs> and I also believe anybody in the permaculture world gets 10 times more hate than in any other field because of reasons. Um, and it's like, you know, and I've covered those in other podcasts, other presentations, other things. We don't need to get into that. But, Jacob, it warms my heart to hear you <laughs> how much people people have hated on you so much for trying to help them that you kind of like, you know what, I've, I've just decided I, I don't need the hate anymore. I'm just not going to share. Yeah. I mean, that's also like some some people have thicker skins than others, and my skin is certainly not above average. I think. Oh, it's not it's not that thick. Uh, and but but I mean, since since I mean, once once you build out sort of like the the, the entire weakened sphere, if we can call it that kind of new term, <laughs> um, you know, like build the entire onion instead of just having someone far away, the number of haters go down significantly, right? Because then also the number of defenders go up significantly as well because there are more people who actually understand it. Uh, that's been my experience. I, I, mean, I, I get very little hate these days compared to what it was like 10 years ago. Uh, 
because there's now so many others who have helped promote these ideas. So I, I kind of feel in the sense it's getting defended at different levels. If that makes sense. I, I think, like, for example, Gandhi is such a great example. The level of hate directed at Gandhi while he was Gandhi-ing um, was phenomenal. Right, right. You know, and he was referred to as a monster. He's a monster who's destroying the world. And and so then I can also look at Sepp Holder, who's clearly way ahead of me. See, do you see my little – I got that from Sepp. Sepp gave that to me. That that's a cool thing. Yeah. <laughs> he he told he told me it was it's a metal. It's got a big rope on it so I can hang it around my neck. <laughs> but um the yeah, stuff, what the hell, I mean nobody ever gave me something like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and come on. <laughs> so 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 I got this from Sepp, but of course Sepp Holzer's way out ahead of me on on doing permaculture. And uh and and the the nightmare that he's gone through is far worse than the crap I've gone through, and uh, I mean a woman wrote a book about what a monster he is, oh, and then it was out there and she worked the book for years and it wasn't until there was a lawsuit, and um and and the judge the judge said uh, and she was a very wealthy woman, and the judge uh, said after the lawsuit the judge said okay, uh, all your stuff. All your money, your property, the, your books, all of your everything now belongs to this guy, Sepulcher. And uh, you get to go spend three years in the pokey. Yeah. And so, but it's like the, the damage was basically done still. But, hey, I guess he got all her stuff. And, you know, so that's that's nice, right? Um, but still, I mean... Imagine having that much hate. Like that woman had to have some epic level of hate for, and it's like, if you're going to, to make a difference and do anything, that's just part of the package. You're just going to get it. And it's, and then, and I totally respect your choice. Like I've decided to step out of the limelight and let my past works be in the limelight. And you know when the haters just, come, just sort of like hide in my little forum, you know. That's you know, yeah. Make make it I mean, essentially the way I think about it. You put down a boat instead of like putting down the bridge so people can walk in. They have to like put in some effort to actually get to the get to the good stuff. Now that's 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 how I've arranged my uh, arrangements. Uh, so so it's not like a, 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 a different different strategy. Uh, um, so I I do kind of feel like if if you're going anyway I I respect your choice and I agree with your concept of the moat instead of the bridge and I I kind of feel like and, and I've also got another podcast out that uh, is podcast 111 why are so many of our permaculture leaders such dicks mm-hmm. and and I basically put it forth that it's because we make them that way and that's like the amount of the amount of and I think that most people don't don't understand the amount of hate that is uh, directed towards people that accomplish wonderful things. Yeah, but I imagine, um, imagine those working in, uh, in climate science. I mean, <laughs> actually, when I uh, when I when I uh, when I quit my physics job, I was uh, getting uh, involved in a nonprofit for sustainability, and one of the things were climate science. And I was thinking of, well, maybe I should start a new new blog about climate science, but then. Already, then you can kind of see how these guys were treated. It's like, okay, no, I cannot, I can't do this. Uh, All right, I'm going to finish up this section. I think the world has at least a million girts. Most might get an even easier life if they heard about permaculture, but they are nonetheless living the dream. Not only is Gert not angry at bad guys. She doesn't even know they exist. I am thinking of giving Ferd a million dollars, but I think telling him about Gert might be of greater value. And and I think that in that sentence, that's that's probably a, a core of what this book is all about. Ferd, if I can, if I can tell Ferd about Gert, that the value of that bit of knowledge is greater than a million dollars. And this is another thing too, is like I've, I've, 
if if you think about it, there's all these people that are the, the preppers and the survivalists and stuff like this. But if you think about it, if if Ferd is like, oh no, I'm worried about the coming zombie apocalypse, and it's like, okay, now I give Ferd a million dollars. What does he do with it? How do how does he spend a million dollars? What is, I mean. Let's assume it's tax-free. He gets a million dollars. <laughs> and it's like, okay, prepare for stuff. What are you going to do? And, of course, we've heard all the stories of people who win the lottery and they get like $20 million. And then a year later, they're destitute and miserable. They're worse off than, than before. And it's kind of like um, if I give Ferd a million dollars, is he going to grow a garden? He probably isn't. He He might. You know, buy some kind of house that has a big bunker under it and stock it up with food. And, uh, he might buy a lot of guns or something like that, like, you know, for when the zombies come. But, uh, um, he's probably not going to grow a garden. Whereas, uh, you know, Gert is, is already got an extremely resilient lifestyle. Of course, I'm not sure what Gert's going to do about zombies, but they are, of course, a fictitious thing. Um, but like <laughs> <laughs> so I mean basically if the world has financial collapse, Gert probably won't even notice. Uh if if the world goes through you know a bunch of different kinds of collapse scenarios, Gert would probably be utterly unaware. Like nothing will change for Gert, you know, other than what she might visit with her neighbors about. And that'll yeah. be the extent of it. And um so I want to ask the two of you, what do you, what is your opinion of this last sentence? Is giving Ferd a million dollars better than giving Ferd knowledge about Gert? Do you want to? <laughs> so, so Jacob, what do you, yeah, if, if you can, if you could give your book and my book to Ferd, do you think that that, might do more for him. Like, Ferd will end up being happier than if we gave him a million dollars. Some will, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean... I think I think a maybe. Uh, like, it, it, I mean, a million dollars is not really gonna do anything. I mean, the only thing you can do with money is to spend it on, on, on stuff. You can sure. buy things. You can buy things with it, but you can't. You can't learn things with it. You can't start a garden with a million dollars. I mean, you could hire someone to start a garden for you, but it requires additional input, right? To to actually start a garden, it requires uh, the the knowledge to start a garden, which is fairly com- complex in, in in nature. A million dollars is not going to do that for you. Uh, well, okay, so we give uh, Ferd a yeah, million dollars. I'm not really answering your question. <laughs> if we give Ferd a million dollars, the first thing he's going to do is it's going to go tell his boss to take a flying fuck through a rolling donut. So he got that out of the way. He quit his job. The next thing he's going to do is uh, he's going to pay off all his debts. So now he doesn't have any debt anymore. And, uh, and, I, and I think next he's going to buy a house, a property. He's going to do, he's going to buy stuff that will hopefully prepare him for the future. Now, of course, you'll probably not even think of growing a garden. Right, right, right. I mean, essentially, I mean, he has money, so he's going to be able to solve his financial problems, but he's not going to be able to solve any other problem he might have. Uh, and that's, that's sort of like the real, real kicker here, because we live in a society where money is like the sole measure of pretty much everything. But see, now, uh, he's been fantasizing about that, that, thing that that ski thing that sit and yeah, ski. The jet ski yeah jet ski, jet ski. Yeah. he's been fantasizing about that jet ski for years now so he's definitely buying the jet ski because he's got his eye on the one that he wants to buy but screw that he's also going to get a boat he's going to get a big truck to pull the boat around and and next thing you know he's going to do the same thing that the lottery winners do and that is he's going to end up in insane debt and without a job He's essentially, I mean, character is destiny, right, in a, in a way. Uh, so, so if you have this kind of, like, early spendy character and you get more money, it's just going to be sort of like a, um, a pulse contribution, and it's going to fade back to uh, mm. the character again. Um, 
and when 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 we lived in, in California, there were all these like high-income dentists and lawyers uh, riding around on on very fancy road bikes, costing like eight thousand, twelve thousand dollars, going maybe like at fifty miles an hour. Totally <laughs> bad. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty slow on a road bike. Uh, and that's that's kind of like what 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 tends to happen. You try to buy your speed. You know, and then these guys were not like maybe 40 pounds overweight, so they spent an additional, say, $6,000 to make the, the bicycle layer on, you know, like three pounds lighter. Because you're, <laughs> you're that, you're, you're, you know. Um, and if, if, if say you give such a dentist, uh, or whatever, you know, like people who have more money than common sense, essentially, they're, they're not the return on investment in terms of what they're actually doing with this going fast on a bicycle. It's misallocated that money. That the problem is not the lack of money. The problem is the lack of time, effort, training. Uh, uh, once upon a time, I mean, when I when I was blogging, there was always these kind of fun blog posts. What would I do with a million dollars? So I tried writing a post like that, and kind of came down to the the, the girth situation was like. After I'd spent, I don't know how much it was, like 20000 I literally had no idea what I would spend the rest on. Like, you know, I've already bought everything. I don't I mean, I just lacked the imagination to, I mean, I could, always, of course, always think of stupid things like, you know, like uh, paying someone uh, $999,800 for a rock. Right? But realistically, spending a million dollars is sort of like beyond my structure, so to speak, uh, because I just don't think of money as a, it's not a critical resource for me anymore. Uh, and that's, and, and that's a, that's a proper retirement right there. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sean, your turn. Okay. This sentence, I'm thinking of giving Fred a million dollars, but I think telling him about Fred might be of great, might be of greater value. I agree with what we said here. Obviously, otherwise, I would have yelled at you and said we need to change it. Um, so, yeah, I think, like, kind of like Jacob was saying, it feels like if you go for the, if you go for the million dollars, it's like, okay, then, like, Fred's just gonna waste the million. And I think it's easy, like, to say as someone who knows many, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I've written this book with you. It's like, I know these things already. So for me, it's easy to say, oh, give me the million because I already have the rest of it. So with both combined, cool, that'd be fun. But if it's A or B and you don't already have B, then I'm going to choose B because I think that the knowledge that comes with the GERT package is much more reliable than, yeah. It's much I mean, more the, 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 the problem, the, the, the main the main issue is that they don't translate well into each other. You, you can't just like write a check for one million dollars and automatically have all this installed in your head. I mean, you have you, you can read the book, right? But you yeah. still have to work through it, think about it a lot before it actually becomes second nature. So, so what a book does is that it presents this like, okay, there's an alternative here, but it's it's it's, it's not it's not like it's uh, it's not like you 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 put like a jag in your head and it's automatically automatically downloaded uh, it's, it's I mean it's like getting like a black belt in karate or something you, you can't you can't just like read a book about it. you have to practice it for many many years right uh, and the book will show you where to go and kind of like the structure of how how, how, how to get there uh, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not it's not a substitution for the skills if you could actually sort of like download the skills like like that if, if that if, uh, if that was the technological possibility, then I personally would easily be able to spend a million dollars. <laughs> but that is that is not the case. So, and in a sense, the limiting factor for, for me is is time and, and mental energy. To yeah, things, absolutely. Not money. Those wanna, two things for me. I'm reading a thing off of the chat thing. I want to I want to share it real quick. It's it's like a very different uh, tack for just a moment. Uh, a fellow named Simon Scott wrote, Paul, at least you're still alive, brother. So many activists have been rubbed out. And um, there's been a lot of people that I've talked to where um, it's like people that they know have mysteriously died. And uh, died, I should say died under mysterious circumstances. And so it's kind of like 
well, that's one way if, if you're a, um, a corporate agenda is something where these guys are kind of in the way, then they, you know, it's apparently maybe pretty cheap to bump them out. I mean, we can mm-hmm. kind of see like all kinds of movies about this. And, and I, and I, I, I've always kind of thought that if I pursue this path that my <laughs> lifespan will be cut, you know, <laughs> artificially short. Um, Please, and let's, let's everyone. Let us get the book out before you <laughs> So, fortunately, lots of copies of the book are around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, but anyway, um, uh, a, a great example is Paul Stamets. And uh, he, there have been many attempts on his life so far. Um, uh, it's, it's very scary to hear him tell, uh, tell these stories. So it's like there's, and this is very, this is artificial. This isn't natural. This is artificial. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad that this got, uh, got brought up. Um, and yet we'll, we'll keep trying. I think, I think that, uh, uh, myself, I'm, I'm, I'm not viewed as a threat because my stuff is, seems too crazy. And I think that <laughs> kind of comes to the stuff of like, oh, I'm talking about level five to level seven stuff. So it just seems crazy to people, the, the majority of the public. The motivational speaker living in a van down by the river, right? <laughs> that's, what, I, that's what I used to be. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, well, almost I, I kind of hope that when a person starts traveling down Permaculture Road and they get to like level three or level four, that at that point my podcasts then become interesting, whereas they wouldn't have been before. So I kind of feel I'm, I tell myself that that's my niche is, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, and so I keep, so rather than trying to put stuff out for the level zero, level one, level two people, I feel like I, I, I am powerfully compelled to do level five, level seven mm-hmm. stuff. No, and that's where I mean, we're That's also the, uh, the, the so-called curse of knowledge. Uh, once, once you know enough, it becomes very hard to, to essentially teach. The problems at a, at a very at a much earlier level. It's the same reason why you don't have like a university professors teaching first grade math, because they simply cannot comprehend the problems that a first grader might have with addition. Mm-hmm. Because it's been so long since, and I, I mean, I, I feel that with a lot of this personal finance and frugality stuff. Like I, I just don't know how to present it well from like. Uh, I was I was like recently on a, on a Danish TV documentary, and the sort of like fallout of that was that I got contacted by various people who had heard like this is this sounds like a great idea, right? How do I get started? And I was like, didn't really, you know, like hmm, I, yeah, I don't really know anymore, right? I mean, what do I tell them? Because well, I mean, meeting levels, right? Uh, not not um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I think your book does really good at people wanting to get started. Uh, I mean, yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, uh, it, 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 it certainly requires you to have uh, certain foundations already in place. Yeah, that's true. Let's put it that way. Uh, I mean, if you're uh, a, a senior in high school and you're thinking about college and whatnot, yeah. then I suppose that if they look at your book, it's going to seem stupid because where's the part where they become a rock star, right? Yeah. No, I don't see the rock star. Doctor and the fame and glory doctor. I don't. I don't get it. this. This book is dumb. It's for idiots. You know. Uh, no, it's actually. I, I think I'd say, it's, I'd say it's actually kind of like the other way around. I mean, the the bad reviews I get is like this is way too complicated. This guy's overcomplicating <laughs> things. And uh, they, they they really. I mean, the the average. I mean, the nonfiction book, books. The average nonfiction book that's published. Not, when I say average, I mean most of them. If you go through a publishing house. They'll, they'll want to edit it down to about a sixth grade reading level. Oh. Um, and then that is essentially because that's where most readers are in terms of their reading comprehension. Uh, I, I kind of feel like your book is good for somebody who has uh, been in the workforce for like three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so they, if you haven't been in the workforce for three years, then your book doesn't make any sense. So it, I think you've got to get to, a, like, just of being in the workforce, you've got to get up to level three of being in the workforce before the your book means anything. And so I think that if somebody uh, is 17 years old and they're a senior in high school, 
they haven't been in the workforce yet. Mm -hmm. I so, no, I mean, I haven't really noticed that effect as such. I mean, uh, the youngest one I've ever had was, I think it was like a seventh grader and eighth grader actually did a school project on the book. Oh, we have a bunch of high schoolers who are also sort of interested in. I mean, don't 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 underestimate the cell phone gen smartphone generation. I mean, uh, um, I stand corrected. Yeah, um, it's it's it's. I mean, the book is obviously. I mean, when I when I wrote it, right? I mean, it was it was still. Uh, I was I was I, my target group was essentially like my thirty to fifty core readers on 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 the blog, and I wanted to sort of get my philosophy down and. You know, and essentially, I'm not yet, not a manifest for sort of like a contained theory system, and so I wrote wrote it mainly mainly for them. And these these were kind of highly highly educated uh, types, so the language is accordingly. It kind of reads as a PhD thesis without the citations, uh, or without that work, you know. <laughs> 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 um, also, because it's hard to find stuff to cite uh, when when you're sort of like out on the in, in, in the outfield, but then uh, it, it just kind of uh, took off after that. Uh, but yeah, you definitely definitely need to uh, to have a high level of reading comprehension, etc. Uh, which which sort of like means you have to be somewhat uh, you have you have to be one of the sharp eyes in the draw. I think I think you actually you have uh, you have you have some kind of cartoon about uh, you must there's a goldfish and then there's Einstein I think <laughs> right uh, so so it's, it's it's closer to Einstein than the goldfish that's the, uh, yeah. the graphic it says something like uh, it must be must this, be this smart smart to, to ride yeah. the ride yeah right yeah and, and the arrow is really close to the goldfish yeah like, so with the oh, yes, it's, for it's, much yeah <laughs> but there is a bar yeah and, right and then of course the reason why you're reading this is you didn't you didn't make the bar <laughs> right 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 yeah <laughs> okay um okay. let's move on with the the chapter then okay yeah, Sean, maybe if I may, uh, may interject a little uh, so what what you actually uh, described with 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 Gert uh, resembles the uh, story of the Mexican fisherman. So for those who don't know that one can, can look it up. Mexican fisherman. I don't know if it's in the book actually. It could be. <laughs> no, it's not in the book. Uh, so okay. that's cool. Uh, People yeah. can go check that out too. Yeah. All right. Sean, do you got anything to add at this point before we move nope. along? Okay. Uh, let's keep going. We've got a lot of chapter left here yet. So yeah, we're about halfway through the chapter, I think. Uh, uh, now this next piece has to do with basically it's ERE before ERE, or at least my exposure to it. And so I'm calling this section of the book Owning a Home Without Groveling to a Bank. Uh, you have my permission to make rude gestures in the general direction of any bank if you implement any of these techniques. When hearing about Gert for the first time, the most common response is, how did she get the land? One possible approach of achieving Gerthood is well-documented in Rob Roy's book, Mortgage Free. To sum up Rob's entire book in one paragraph, keep working your day job, significantly reduce your expenses, and save up a big chunk of money. Use this money to buy your land. Yes, with cash. Next, build a shack on your land and move in. You won't have to pay rent somewhere else, and so you'll have extra money to save up. While you're living in the shack, use the money you've been saving and your new shack building skills to build a small house. Over the next number of years, keep adding on to and remodeling the house as your needs and budget allow until it becomes your dream home. Now you have your dream home on your own land and no mortgage. Hooray! This strategy can definitely work, but living in a shack for a year doesn't really jive with a lot of people. Fair enough. Have no fear. For those of you not interested in the shack lifestyle, we'll be introducing a luxury model at the end of the chapter. Oh, I'm looking forward to the end of the chapter. I can't remember what I wrote. <laughs> but okay. we, we actually, I think we talked about the Rob Roy book in the previous podcast. If people want to look that one up, 
Yes. Yeah. And I've got a podcast with Rob Roy about the Rob oh. Roy. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good too. <laughs> so, <clears throat> all right. The, the next, uh, uh, section in the chapter is called early retirement extreme. You may have heard of it. <laughs> so. Uh, another excellent example of how one might achieve girthood is what Jacob Lund Fisker did. Once Don't upon a time, face. and I gotta, I gotta tell you, Jacob wanted me to rephrase all of this to be far more humble towards Jacob. Oh. <laughs> but, but okay, and, I, and so I decided, screw him, I can say whatever I want, it's my book. <laughs> so. Well, I might sue you for all your money then. <laughs> Once Not upon a time. Take. <laughs> Once upon a time, Jacob worked as a nuclear astrophysicist. One day, he wanted to go out and play, but careers typically don't allow that on a weekday. So rather than spend the rest of his life doing what he was trained to do, he plotted and schemed a way to escape. I can see all these notes in here about, you can't say that. It's like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's not exactly how it happened. I mean, there was, was a lot less scheming hey. than that. It just kind of happened hey. along the way. That's your book. I'm reading here. You be quiet. <laughs> he ended up retiring at the age of 33. So very clever. Leading up to his retirement, Jacob created the blog, book, and forum called Early Retirement Extreme, E-R-E, to share his ideas and philosophies with others on how to achieve financial independence and retire early. Thousands of people shared online about their success with Jacob's strategies. In a nutshell, Jacob begs you to consider the conventional retirement path and then consider an extreme early retirement scenario. And then consider something in between that would be best for you. Even more, you might be willing to try a path where you retire in 10 years, but after a few months, perhaps after an especially comical day at work, you might be willing to try something more extreme. It seems that a lot of people that start on this path end up retiring in three years. Now, I got to stop here at this point because I suspect that Jacob is about to explode <laughs> 47 things he has to say about what I've just read. Uh, it, it is it is true that people tend to start out slow and then ramp up. Or if they might have been saving, say, 40 or 50% for a long time, and then they discover this stuff and say, well, wow, we can do 70% or 80%. And that, that will... Uh, that will significantly decrease the time it takes for you to become financially independent. It's a very and a surprisingly nonlinear process. Like uh, saving 80% is not four times better than saving 20%. It's much, much faster than that. Mm. Uh, if, you, if you save uh, 50% uh, of, of, of your after-tax income, you can expect to become – and you start with nothing, right? You can expect to become financially independent in about 17 years. So if you if you start working at the 23, say you will be financially independent at 40. But if you save 80%, it'll only take you six years. So you'll be done by 29. So that's only a 30% increase in in savings rate. Uh, uh, so yeah. Um, all right. Let me let me finish reading this section, which is all about you. That way, uh, then you can start to, to tell me about how I got it all wrong and, and, I, and all this buffet of notes all packed up on about on this chapter that you've written. Okay, a quick peek at what most people, uh, what most consider as the most extreme path. Continue working a normal job, but live so frugally that you're squirreling away 75% of your income. Try to get your living expenses under $500 Per month. Yes, this might seem really low, but he outlines how it can be done. Invest that extra coin. When you have saved enough, when you have enough saved, you can then leave the rat race behind and spend the rest of your life in happy retirement. As a bonus, you might develop some hobbies that accidentally produce a bit more income. Oops. Jacob is brilliant. I wish that I had learned of this when I was young. That said, 
While these techniques may work, the idea of living extremely frugally doesn't really seem like it fits the idea of a more luxurious life for a lot of people. Don't worry. We'll get to a more luxurious approach soon. All right. So, Jake, if you've read ahead, you know what we're going to talk about next. But is there anything more to add to this section, which is all about you? Yeah, I think, I mean, especially the thing about being extremely frugal. Um, so a lot of, a lot of people would see frugality, or, or, or approach this from again where you start over here and then they look at what's over here. And then they see this as being a very cut down version of what they used to. You have to give this up, you have to give that up, and eventually you are sacrificing, you know, you're making extreme sacrifices in order to do that. So that's not entirely accurate, that's not the best way to see it, approach the whole problem either. The, the better way is to, uh, Look at look at needs and wants. And the point is to find um, there's there's a, there's a lot of things in, in in this world. If you're in a given structure where you like go to work every day and have a house, a mansion, or whatever, or yeah, a house and a car and payments, etc., that you take for granted, and you say those are needs. I need a cell phone. I need a car for myself. I need a car for my wife. I need a car for my teenager, etc., etc., etc. The better way uh, is to start from zero and then add up and say, what do I get? And then stop once once you have enough. And you will often, if you're not used to starting from up here, you'll find that you, enough actually happens a lot lower than what you're used, used to. So that's, that's, that's point one. And it's a lot easier if you start young than if you start old. Essentially, if you if you already settled with tons of obligations and consumer behaviors, it's a lot harder to take those away than if you start like from scratch and just build it up, saying, "Well, okay, I need I need you know a roof and I need three sets of clothes or whatever, and I need the heat to be sufficiently high, but it doesn't need to be like 85 or whatever the average temperature is, sort of." in other houses these days. Um, the other, I mean, it's 56 degrees in here. Uh, <laughs> Fahrenheit. Um, the other thing is, of course, it, over the past two generations or so, we have gone away from this idea of doing things for ourselves. I mean, if you go back to our, my grandparents and their parents, they did not shop for their groceries. They, they grew them, right? Uh, they could make their own soap if they needed a, a shovel or something. Uh, they would essentially buy the blade and put their own handle in. They could do lots of different things. But, I mean, we grew up in a system where essentially all we learn in terms of satisfying any need or want we have is that there's only one way to do it, and that is to get a so-called good job, meaning it pays money uh, reliably. And then we know how to spend it on different services and, and 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 products, and that means that my generation and those younger than me, and I say also my parents' generation, the boomer generation, there's a lot of things that we never learn, and there's a fairly long learning curve uh, of replacing all these things we buy with smarter solutions for ourselves. So, I mean, when I started. Uh, started on this whole approach, of course, I didn't know anything either. So initially, I was also kind of sacrificing everything. Uh, but, you know, taking this away and not living without that, living without that and getting that up. But eventually, over years, I mean, decade or so, uh, I replaced that, learned how to do this, learned how to do that. So, I mean, the way to see that is simply that we spend money much more efficiently than the average, about four times as efficiently as the average consumer. Uh, we live uh, currently in a, in a, in a two-story house, you know, 1,000 square foot. That's the smallest we could actually get in Chicago. Uh, but the only things we really spend on are these so-called intermediate goods, you know, like real estate tax and insurance and various shit we don't really get any value out of, but we're sort of like legally obligated to pay for. Uh, the only, I mean, we... The, the, the biggest expense post outside of like mandatory bullshit expenses is food uh, at $1,800 a year. Otherwise, everything else is, 
I mean, Death Camp City is something I've made. Uh, we renovated our bathroom for $50. I, I built the cabinets myself out of scrap wood. But that's not something you learn from day one to, to day two. Uh, uh, so, I mean, that's, 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 it's, it's, it's very hard. It's, it's hard to believe that it's possible to spend so little to sort of like spend money so efficiently. Let's suppose you're you've used got, to just paying for stuff. <laughs> let's suppose you've got like $10 million in the bank. Yeah. And maybe it's not even in the bank. Maybe it's in a bunch of it's in investments and some's under the mattress, you know, whatever. But you've got, you've got like $10 million. And, um, and then you've got the job of doing exactly what you said, like oh, a little bit of remodel in the bathroom. There's some, we want some new cabinets in the bathroom. And it's like, well, you, you, you could hire a guy. You got the money to do it. You know, you could hire a guy to come and do it. Um, and then in fact, what you got to this point of having the $10 million safety net, um, by, by living frugally at some point mm-hmm. in the past. And, but then in order to get there, you build some skills on how to be relatively self-sustaining and take care right, of it. Right, right. Self-reliant, I think, yeah. Self-reliant, yeah. yeah. And so then, so then when the time came that you want to put some cabinets in there, it's kind of like, well, I could hire a guy. Mm-hmm. He's not going to do it the way I want to do it. Right, right. And, and if I do it and then I put some nicks in it and I do a little of this and a little of that the way I like to do it because I've done it before. Yeah. Then, like, well, sorry, <laughs> then it's like um, I feel like uh, there, there's a certain amount of delicious that I end up with at the end of the week that I can look back and I can see this thing that I've done and it's like my I've I, I've done a thing that makes my house now more of a home. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's definitely a pleasure in being able to do this. Uh, it's a certain satisfaction. Yeah. Uh, what what's uh, what, what's important I would say is. Um, if, 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 if you if you draw a scale where you do nothing for yourself and then when people do everything for you, I mean, consumers tend to be closer to the, have someone else do it for you. But it's, I mean, it's not like we have, it's not like you hire a dentist to go brush your teeth, right? I mean, you can do that yourself. Uh, you don't have toilet assistant, toilet assistant <laughs> either, or, you know, to wipe your ass. You, know? um, you don't have a personal driver. You can do that on your own. Um, but many other, most other things for, for your standard consumer unit, it's, it's bought. But if we move that back a little, then you'll, it's, 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 it, what my point is that a lot of the stuff that we, one would normally pay for is highly inefficient. You, you pay for it at very inefficient levels. Like if you, for instance, if you have a flat tire on your bicycle, uh, then, I mean, I did some bicycle repair when I was living in, in California. Uh, and, uh, apparently the going rate, if you bring that to the, uh, to the local bike shop, is like $15 to patch a flat tire. And there were like literally people who were giving away their Walmart bicycles for free because they were broken, uh, which ultimately turned out they would have a flat tire. So I would actually pick these bicycles up for free and, then I've had arguments with people, typically high income earners, saying like, "Well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a fancy uh, tech software engineer or something, and I make like a hundred dollars an hour, blah blah blah, right?" So it's it's due to the law of comparative advantage, it's better for me to you know pay someone else to do it. But I mean, in many cases, they haven't really done the math there because I mean, fifteen dollars for a flat tire takes five minutes to to fix. That's like fifteen times. 12 is a, uh, what, $180 an hour for fixing your own flat. So obviously you should not pay someone to fix that flat. Well, I mean, the other thing is you're paying $15 to have them fix the flat, but you got to get the bike to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait for them to get around to it. Right, right. Then you got to take the bike back. And it just seems like in, in just the amount of time, I mean, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, going back to the thing about about your bathroom. Uh, and and some modifications that you put we did with some cabinets in there. Yeah, you could hire a guy to go and do that, and and it's like um uh and then you could probably pay for whatever it was you did. Let's say you had to pay six hundred dollars uh, to get these cabinets put in. That would be lucky, I think. <laughs> okay, uh, maybe thousand anyway, dollars yeah. for whatever yeah. it was that you did, mm-hmm. and it's like um 
dealing with the person and parting with all that money. You could totally Fine do that. Yeah. But it's, it's like it just turns out to be that now that you are a wealthier person in respect to experiences and knowledge, that it turns out you could just do it yourself right. uh, for, for hardly – for less time than it takes to talk to the guy about doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, let alone part with a thousand dollars or whatever yeah. it is. And so, I mean, um, like, uh, yeah, not just not just in dollars, but also in, in mental energy, having to find someone who will actually show up, uh, all all that stuff, and telling them what you want. I mean, it's all kind of different, different resources. Yeah, there's a property, and then. You know, when they don't do it properly, finding another person who shows up and does actually do it properly. And, and at the end of the day, you're doing most of it yourself anyways. So. Or or doesn't do it properly, but in a different way of improper. Creatively improper, yeah. Improbable, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, I, I found that the main difference for, for, for small, easy jobs, well, I mean, intermediate jobs is probably more accurate. The uh, biggest difference between a professional and a sort of like a do it yourself with enough time and YouTube is speed. Like they can do it four times faster than you, but they do about just as good as jobs you can do if you're careful in what you're doing. And you and you care, you give a shit about what yeah, you're yeah, doing. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I think that ninety percent of any job is give a shit. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like it's amazing how somebody'll be like, Oh, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna fix this thing but they don't really give a shit. It's, it's like they, and, they, and their YouTube video happens to be the red green show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, there we just wrapped it up in duct tape. It's good enough. Yeah. But, all right, let's move on with the book, with the chapter in the book. And, um, uh, so this next section of this chapter is called Give a Gift to Your Future Self with Passive Income Stream. I'm going to leave for two minutes while you read this. <laughs> all right, all right, good. Sean, I need you to not I'm still here. Okay, we got we got a, a, a lot of background noise. <laughs> Hopefully, we don't get any more background noise from Jacob while he's away. <laughs> but but okay. So this section is called "Give a Gift to Your Future Self with Passive Income Streams." All right. So Sean, we've got something that we set aside. It's um, so what I did was is I put a poll out to my Patreon peeps uh, from my podcast Patreon peeps. And uh, they all came through, and so we've got some results. What What are the numbers here? What's What's the question first? The question on the survey. Oh, it wasn't a question. It said, "Check the boxes for your Vibaruni on residual income streams." So the I, options. I, I yes. made you say Vibaruni. <laughs> you did. Yeah. That's all right. At least you admitted it. So. <laughs> Everyone knows it's here. You're doing. So the survey says, I think that residual income streams are not a fit for me. Two votes. I want to do residual income streams, but I have not yet figured out which one is for me. 11 votes. I tried some residual income streams and it didn't seem to work. Two votes. I tried some residual income streams and it worked really great. One vote. What is this residual income streams you speak of? One vote. All right. So I, I, I think the most fascinating part on that, we had 17 people vote, and this was uh, a survey of Paul's Patreon people. Um, if the most fascinating thing is there's 11 of the 17 people said, I want to do this, but I just haven't figured out what I want to do yet. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, uh, a lot of people, um, so the, the key is, is that the, the biggest one by far is that they haven't figured out what is a good residual income stream or, and, and as Sean pointed out, when I posted this, I shouldn't have said, I should not have said residual income stream, but I should have said passive income stream. And sorry, that's a bad habit of mine, which in the book we've corrected. It's all about passive income streams. And so, um, and we are going to talk about some in the book. We're gonna we're gonna list off some stuff, but but it's, I mean, this is just a section in a chapter of the book, so we're not gonna spend a whole lot of time on it. But we have a whole forum dedicated to helping you to figure out what's your thing, and and I kind of feel like one of the things that um, every time I hear somebody say, "I haven't really figured out what I want to do yet," 
I kind of feel like one of the things that no one has done that I know of yet <clears throat> is go out and figure out how Google AdWords works, connect Google AdWords to something of mine for which I have a 50% affiliate fee. So that means that every time an item is sold, you get half of the gross income. So like if they spend, if it's a hundred dollars, they're going to buy a thing from me for a hundred dollars. Like the, uh, the, um, permaculture, uh, and the, the PDC ATC videos, the 177 hours that's currently available for $100, uh, exactly. And so then if you made a link to that with your, with it, with our affiliate junk, um, PayPal takes out like, I think they take out like $3 or $350 or something like that. And then you'll get $50. And then that means I get something like $46. So you actually get paid more than me if, if you do this. And no one's, no one has done that yet. And I kind of feel like I bet you, you could probably get something set up in under an hour of just winging it and uh, set it up crazy cheap and it'll probably start to have a return. It won't take you, it won't take. So then the next question is, well, Paul, why haven't you done it? Well, I've been working on this book, see? <laughs> Instead of, of doing that, I'm trying to make more stuff for you guys to make your uh, uh, passive income streams with. But the thing is, if you set it up and then it's costing you like, um, I don't know, let's say it's costing you 50 bucks a month for the thing, but you're making $500 a month from the affiliate fee, I think you'll find that um, it's it's worth it. So then you just leave it running forever. You don't have to do anything else. There you go. There's that's a passive income stream, and I um, all right. So <clears throat> I'm going to uh, read the chapter, uh, which I think it starts off giving a kick in the nuts to Jacob, and uh, so Sorry, Jacob, will, yeah, and, and, and Jacob, of course, will have lots to say here in a moment. Um, uh, okay, but so give a gift to your future self with passive income streams. The stumble I experience with Jacob's ere is the investing part. It smells a lot like gambling to me. And since I am not a master of this type of gambling, I suspect that I will be on the losing end of the gamble while experts fleece my monies. And I'm left with nothing but stabby thoughts about those experts. Years ago, I stumbled onto passive income streams, also called residual income streams, or even royalties. The idea behind passive income streams is that you put in an effort now to create something, and over the years, a small trickle of money comes in without much further effort. I wrote an article on my Rich Soil website about ants and aphids back in 2002. It took me about two hours. I may have spent another two hours telling folks about it. This was one of my least popular articles. At some point, I stuck a couple of ads on the page, and it consistently brought in about $60 per year every year. That may not sound like a lot, but it has now been 17 years, and I have made $960 from only four hours of work. That's $240 per hour. Extrapolating these figures, if you were to work 40 hours per week for a whole year doing this kind of thing, you could make $30,000 per year. But after the first year, you will be, you will barely have to do anything. Sounds like a good retirement to me. So, so you do, you work for one year. And now you're earning $30,000 per year. And then you stop working, pretty much. I mean, maybe you'll work just a few hours a year. But for the most part, you stop working, and $30,000 per year continues to come in. Now, granted, for the most part, with passive income streams, they tend to kind of shrink a little bit over the years for whatever reason. And... You could go in there and you could do a little bit of polish or something to kind of get it to bump back up or whatever. But to keep the math simple, let's say it, it stays constant. But and that this is this is the definition of passive income stream. 
some of my efforts in this space have never made me a dime. In fact, when I first wrote that article about ants and aphids on my apple tree, I fully, I had no thought of it ever bringing in any money. I thought I was just writing a thing that I felt the need to say so I could express myself better. I can point to the article when talking about aphids for the most part. Uh, so some of my efforts in this space have never made me a dime. Some of them have needed me to foolishly spend money. Others have made me a little, and a few have made me quite a bit. I think the, the, the example I traditionally use is my article about diatomaceous earth. It's not a very big article. It took me a few hours to write. And uh, there have been times when it's brought in thousands of dollars per month. Um, it doesn't bring in so much now for reasons, but... You know, it's that's been probably a quick little article that I wrote that's brought in a significant amount of money. Um, let's see. As with many things, I think the key is try 100 things. Only two of them will work out, but you never know in advance which two. And... Uh, I think this is the thing that Jacob has highlighted the most. And Jacob has <laughs> sent me several emails like this. It's this. It's this. This is everything. Okay. One thing you can be assured of. If you do zero things, zero will work out. Okay. I got to give Jacob a chance to because we just got through giving Jacob, Jacob a couple of kicks. And, and then we talk about passive income streams, for which I happen to know Jacob knows a thing or two about. And then, of course, this thing about try 100 things. Okay, Jacob, I'm, I'm going to let you have Better a chance. What, what, what do you want to start with, investing or, or passive income? <laughs> it's your choice, man. I have All a right. feeling that... I have a feeling that it's my chance to go pee now because you're going to probably talk for 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, um, the investing part, I mean, the, 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 the so it's, I mean, it, it, it looks like gambling. If I may, uh, when, when, if, if you don't have much experience with something, then things tend to look like, tend to look random. Uh, it's just kind of like how my, uh, my, uh, my gardening efforts are currently. I throw some seeds down, you know, and maybe something comes up, maybe it doesn't. Something doesn't come up, or the squirrels, squirrels take my seed, right? Uh, so metaphorically, it's sort of like on, on the same level, whereas if, if, if you sort of get into it, which I think if you are going to pick that as like a, uh, as a, as a way to go for your income, um, then I'll start, then, then, then it will not seem so random anymore. Uh, and I think, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of people want to punt on the investing part. They say, I mean, I'm not interested in doing that uh, because the, all this financial stuff means nothing to me. But I think if you're actually going to pick that and choose that as a way to make the, the dollars you need, then I highly recommend people spend like 300 to 1,000 hours learning about it. But uh, once once sort of like the information is, uh, the knowledge is downloaded into, into the brain, it doesn't take that long to, to do anymore. A uh, further point in, a, uh, in favor of the investing part is that it's, it's very robust in a sense that if you put money into, put money and effort into it, you are, you are guaranteed to get something back out of it. You're not in competition with anyone. Um, you put, you put a hundred dollars in, you get three dollars out every year. You put a thousand in, you get thirty dollars out. And where does that money come from? If you do have the the job and you're saving via that, then that's essentially the surplus money. You know, <laughs> the 80% you're saving. I mean, what else can you do with it but invest it, right? So that's that's where that money comes from. I mean, you can also put it into businesses, your own business, or efficiency measures around your house, solar panels, etc. But also, eventually, you'll reach a point where you can put it into the market and do it that way, and it scales perfectly. Uh, I mean, for instance, we can't all write, uh, I mean, that this is sort of like a fallacy of composition thing argument I'm making now, but we can't all, all, uh, all write a, an article about AFIT, right? There can really only be one guy with the, with the, with the AFIT article taking in all the money, right? So, um, some of, some of that is kind of subject to the risk of someone else writing a, 
better article and then Google changing the algorithm on you and pointing to that instead. And then you can see it kind of drop rapidly. That's, that's not the stock market or the bond market doesn't have the same risk as, as such. Um, so, I mean, that was, that was kind of like, uh, in, in favor of, of, of the investing part. I mean, it's certainly, certain, I think it's worth taking seriously. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and then, 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 then the other thing was the, the, the try 100 things. Only two of them will work out. Uh, that is, that is true. Um, so, in, in terms of like return on effort, there's very much a Pareto curve, which which means that you'll probably make like uh, 95 of percent of your money from from uh, from five percent of of your total efforts. You know, like if you write a thousand articles, then 50 of those will provide like most of your income, and the rest will will provide almost nothing. I mean, that's 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 been my experience there, uh, and I think I think that holds in general. Uh, the problem, or the, the the challenge there, um, is in the try 100 things is actually super hard. Uh, it's it's hard to remain creative. If, if you keep, I mean, it requires a personality and that, that'll essentially go on and on and keep trying things, you know, it's, 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 um, until something works out. And it's, it's, I mean, when, if, for instance, since, since like, uh, fire, the financial independent retire early has sort of become popular in the, in the media. There's like a lot of people starting, starting blogs and the, there's this kind of like general, Blogging rule is uh, this is called like the 90-day rule, uh, which um, which is actually that most bloggers shut down after 90 days because they run out of things to say. <laughs> and uh, because you know, you have like 90 good ideas, and after that's like, what am I gonna say now? You know. Uh, and the risk is there that so if you you know like maybe only one of them will. One of those articles will, will work out and they make $60 a year on that stake or, I mean, you see what I mean? Uh, so, so you need, you need to have some kind of very exuberant personality to keep trying new things. And that kind of goes back to, to how, you know, uh, what was it for the, the, the first guy, the $40,000 a year guy? Most, most people are sort of have, have been trained into the mindset of, uh, doing just one thing. So it's, it's really hard to be suddenly begin to become creative and then trying a bunch of different things. Uh, it's it's, um, it's 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 definitely. You, you, I mean, maybe maybe you're lucky and you never lost it, but maybe you became a became a working drone and and you lost it. In that case, it's it's kind of it's it's gonna be it's gonna be tricky to do it. I mean, it's 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 not impossible, but it's hard. I mean, I I think I could easily fill five yeah. or six books. Giving people ideas on things yeah. that they could do. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, no, the list, the lists are there, but I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, so it's not, it's not that the material is lacking; it's that the person, the, the person actually trying to do it. No, no, I, the sort of like the talents or whatever, the, the drive. I think is. I, I kind of feel like sure, drive. Yeah. Drive is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. But it's like you're – I mean, I think you make some very good points about like, okay, 90 days, people are all blogged out. Like, yeah. okay, I said everything I have to say, and now I'm looking at that jet ski. Yeah. You know, suddenly – And then you made like $3 in Google Ads, and it's like, man, 100 years. <laughs> and and I kind of feel like – I kind of feel like I can, I can help that person. Yeah. You know, I can – I can I I have the ability to guide them into doing something that they're comfortable with, but it's like they got to actually do the work. Right, right, and, yeah. And it's like, and they're going to be like, I'm, I've got all the the energy to do it. I just don't know what to do. Yeah. And I kind of feel like, no, no, not a problem. I can work with that. I can <laughs> I can work with that. And it's kind of a funny thing because there's, for example, um, throughout the year. I'll I'll get two emails a week where somebody on Amazon went and bought my deck of cards. And then between uh Thanksgiving and December the 15th, I'll get those same kind of emails, but I'll get like 30 or 40 a day. 
because people are buying the cards for gifts at Christmas time and, and the, the permaculture playing cards fit into a Christmas stocking. Mm-hmm. And so I get tons of them. Now, that is, in a sense, that's, that is a, uh, in fact, it's, it's a residual income stream because we did a Kickstarter. But it's, you know, let's call it a passive income stream for, for a moment. And so I do pretty much nothing and this money keeps coming in. And, uh, uh, we could talk about what a dumbass I am about marking the price too low or whatever, but that's another story from their day. The key is, is the money keeps coming in. And so now we're talking about like, well, um, uh, there's all of, you know, well, well, hey, Paul, you've got superpowers, so you can go and make cards. And it's kind of like, they'll let any dumb fuck make cards. Um, <laughs> and, and on top of that, it's kind of like, um, I, I, I kind of feel like to do what I did was nothing special. And to compound it even further, um, I brought up the idea of making cards in a podcast. And then somebody wrote on Permi shortly after that, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make these cards. And so I even spelled out what would be ideas for 52 cards. And I think I even had like six spares in mm-hmm. case you didn't like six of those ideas. Mm-hmm. Here's some six more. So like I was like spoon feeding this person to make the cards and like, then when you get when you get to the point that you're doing a Kickstarter, then um, I'll throw the weight of the empire behind your Kickstarter and we'll fund your your Kickstarter and we'll fund your cards. And he's like, "Yay, I'm going to do it! I'm going to do it!" And then I check back in with him like I don't know five months later, and he didn't reply to the thread. He didn't reply to my emails to him. He dropped it. I then took the idea to somebody else and said, "Hey, how about this? Do you want to like do the cards? I'll help you. I'll support you." Yes, yes, I totally do want to do that. I'm going to do it. It's going to be my thing is making these cards. And then they didn't. And then I went to like, I think two other people before I contacted Alexander and Alexander's like, yes, I'm going to do it, which is the exact same thing I heard from all these other people. And then, um, after about six weeks, I think I contacted Alexander and said, how's it going? And his word is, I haven't started yet. And it's like, so then I started like, holding his hand with each card. Next thing you know, I've put in as much time as Alexander, and we mm-hmm. agreed that it's a, now a mutual thing. And so I did the Kickstarter. Then when we're all done, we each have an unlimited distribution license. So he can go print up as many cards as he wants and sell them whenever he wants. And then also I've got contacted by people who wanted to make the cards be in other languages. And I said, there you go, Alexander. There's a whole business. He didn't. He didn't do it. He doesn't have to do it. It's like, that's totally cool. In the meantime, I just went ahead and printed the cards and sold them on Amazon, and I made my own web page and stuff like that, and I've printed. He could print cards, too, and put them on Amazon, too. And so he could sell them for a lower price than I'm selling them for. Of course, I'm selling them for far too low of a price, but, again, that's another story. This podcast is continued in Part 3. Don't forget... Go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.